there you are. I was hoping you'd make it. Come in, sit down. Welcome to the story well. If you've found your way here, then here is where you belong. In this place, we welcome storytellers of any stripe, whether published or anonymous, budding newbie or seasoned veteran, via prose or stage direction or panel descriptions, through the corridors of your memory or to worlds you've only imagined. You are among your own people. But now it's time to leave the word minds, step back from the writer's block, and put your story on pause. Set down your pen, rest your weary wrists, lay aside your stylus. Pull up a seat at the table with your fellow wordsmiths as we discuss the art and craft of story. Joining me at the table is Mr. Ryan Dalton, novelist, podcaster, storyteller, raconteur. <laughs> any other any other uh, titles I need to? No, throw just in keep there? just make stuff up. It's okay. <laughs> Pilot, uh, <laughs> yeah, sword fighter, juggler, possibly Batman, sword juggler, sword juggler. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, all those sound good. So you are a a published novelist. I am. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because um, you're not only a writer but you are a working writer. Yes, you know, I, like I, I have a lot of respect for everybody who's out there struggling and trying to get their stuff out there. But I know for a fact that you have put pen to paper and actually have gotten money in exchange for words. Yes, that's actually, you know, I always called myself a writer yeah. and, and I only apply this to myself. I don't enforce this for anybody else, of course, sure. but I always called myself a writer. I called myself an author when I got paid. Right. Yeah. When yeah. I sold my first book, I was like, OK, now I'll tell people I'm an author. Ironically, I usually still just say writer. Yeah. Um, but in my own head, I'm like, yeah, author. So I guess so. The, the topic on the, on the table in front of us today uh, is uh, plots or plants. So <laughs> what we're going to talk about is essentially how do you go about planning your story as you're writing it, or do you just not do that? Now, this, this could apply to anything. It could apply to a novel or a, uh, a play or uh, whatever it is. Uh, probably not a video game because video games are essentially open-ended, but um, is it is it better or is, in your experience? And then, uh, we're going to talk about it. There's not, we're not going to come up with an answer at the end of right, this. Right, yeah. It's very subjective, but it's <laughs> right, fun exactly. to talk so about. Right, exactly. So it's just through both of us, what what has worked for us, what, what hasn't worked for us, what advice have we gotten in the past, what what bad advice right. have we gotten uh, in the two fields? Because I, for me, I always think of the, um, the two sort of Mount Rushmores for each of those things are um, Neil Gaiman is a pantser. Uh, so basically that, that means that he has some ideas about where he wants to go and then he just lets it rip. Yeah, he, he sits, just, he sits down know, with the keyboard and just right. goes. Has, he, has, he knows the characters, he knows sort of the world, and then he has no idea what the story is going to go and he just lets it happen. As mm -hmm. opposed to George R. R. Martin, who knows every little bit on the way and he and just he's he's inching the stuff along bit by bit to get closer to his ultimate goal along the way. I know there are other people on there, but those are the when I think <laughs> right. of the two, that's what I think. And They're so recognizable. I, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, so I, I end up somewhere in the middle. So where, where do you sort of fall? Do you, are you, are you sort of more one way or the other? Like you uh, get the idea. So we'll, we'll talk about yeah. that another, another time, like the yeah. idea thing, but you have the idea like, all right, I'm going to say now is the next step for you plotting out beginning, middle and end. You know, I'm very much, I, I think most people are some hybrid of both. It's just like it's a sliding scale, you know, like like uh, oftentimes I think there are very few people who are solely plotters and very few people who are so solely. Actually, I think there's probably more people who are solely pantsers than mm -hmm. there are people who are solely plotters. I think as the, the scale slides closer to 
plotter, I think it becomes a little more uh, a little more rare to find someone who is a pure like plotter plans everything. Yeah, um, they're out there, but so so I would say for me, I'm um, where I plot, I plot a lot. Okay. <laughs> it sounded like a Dr. Seuss, like where I plot, <laughs> I, I plot, plot a lot. I plot a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's other things that I'm I'm a little more freeform about it. Sometimes it depends on what I'm writing. Um, if it's a shorter piece, like if it's just a short story I'm mm-hmm. doing just as a thing, then I will kind of just let myself go, make it a little more freeing. And I'll start with, you know, the basic concept and basic character and know where I want to end up. And then I'll just go uh, and see where I end up. I, I use a, a lot of times short stories just to try something new or um you know like as a palate cleanser between longer things or things so that that's my time to just you know i, I don't plan, have to plan as much um, so for for a short story like that do you like obviously usually i'd say in my experience at least for a short story you've had like this is a beat like mm-hmm. oh this is and then like and then the vampire kills or whatever or whatever it is and then you sort of work backwards do you think about um before and after and then just go all right i'm just going to cut to just this this piece uh, or in, for, in a short story context when you know that's what it's going to be because sometimes we don't know what the idea is going to mm-hmm. be when you have um do you think about like all right i could do all this stuff or i'm just going to start from here and end it here but in your head do you have the other parts too or are you just like he walks into a room he, he doesn't walk out of the room Hmm. Well, for a short story, I'll tell you a trap I see a lot of short uh, people who are trying to do short stories will fall into. Mm-hmm. They will give you a sliver of a larger story, yeah. um, but it feels like a sliver of a larger story. Hmm. The, I think the trick to, to a good short story is that you give someone a complete story, but you can still tell it's part of a larger world. But oh, within okay. that story, it is a contained story. Um, I, I think that that's where you can, especially newer writers, can fall into the short story trap of essentially they end up just giving you some scenes mm-hmm. that are kind of plucked out of what would be a larger story. Okay. But to me, that's not how you should write a short story unless it's going to be an anthology or something like that. Um, but if it's going to be one self-contained short story, it needs to feel like a beginning, middle and just like there would be in a novel. Mm-hmm. Um so you need you need to be able, at least for me, I need to be able to say, okay, I'm going to start here, and you know, I, I I do the the beats whether I'm plotting it or just kind of going through it, um, just like I would a full novel, um, and so I want to make sure that I'm very very efficient with the things I'm telling you at the beginning mm. to set up the worlds and the characters, um, and so that at least within this little microcosm, I am giving you a full story as if this were a novel. Um, okay, it's just that. I won't have as many characters. I won't have, of course, as as big a slice of the world that I'm showing you. And I just won't have as many things happen. I'm more focused. You know, there's not, there's not really room for subplots unless you're doing a novella uh, or yeah. something like that. So it's, you know, pretty keyed in on just very the main thing that's going to happen to the main few people that they're going to happen to. Um, and here's the bits of the world that are... Um, relevant to the story and you can throw in little at least the way i'll do i'll try to pepper in little details that show you oh there's a larger world that this exists in yeah but that's not the story we're telling 
Yeah, I like um, to. I, I, I in, in my own head, I for those of the crunchy bits. I like <laughs> nice. To put, it's just like for a salad. I like to put in a little bit that that don't necessarily contribute to what it is. They're the bacos. Mm-hmm. So it's like you could have a, you could have your salad and be fine without it. But adding that other thing in is like this extra little bit that doesn't necessarily lead to a other thing, but it adds a little flavor to it that lets you know that it's something. There's something else under the surface. There's something more going on. We're just not going to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. E- even as simple as, let, let's say you have a fictional city, and in this, let's say in your book or your short story, whatever, you're not going to fully explore that city. Right. But maybe you refer to a part of the city and you call it like the certain name of a district. You just give it a name for a district. Well, that well, when the reader reads, oh, the you know whatever the you know Jeff's district, they <laughs> they don't realize that their mind is is filling all that in and like filing that away as okay this is part of the world you didn't connect that to anything you just gave them a name of a part of the city they're they're probably not going to see it but at the same time that fills in the little pieces for them and all you did was use like three extra words um to create a canvas you know and kind of a backsplash so you can use those tricks a lot with short stories uh to imply a larger world that maybe you necessarily haven't developed all of, which you don't have to for a short right. story, but it gives the, you know, it's like the painted backdrop for, uh-huh. for an old movie where, yeah. uh, you know, unless you really look at it, you know, <laughs> like if you know what to look for, you could be like, that's a painting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but your average person is, you know, is focused on the foreground where the story is happening. Right. Um, I'm talking and I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. Sorry. No, it's absolutely <laughs> fine. Uh, one of my favorite gags that, uh, they do. I, I, I've probably stolen this a bunch of times, but the only one I can think of right now, an example, was from Kim Possible. In that, there was a a point where Kim and Ron were fighting you know, off of this thing, and suddenly there was this, uh, there's a gigantic like ten story poodle, <laughs> and like brah, like uh, bark bark bark, and so Ron looks at it and goes. That's the second biggest poodle I've ever seen. <laughs> nice. And I love that because automatically then you have established a story where he has seen a poodle that's larger than that. And you're like, <laughs> what is that? I'd like it's 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 a, such a simple gag, but I love it so much where because that implies so much more life that has happened that you have never gotten to see. Uh, and the same thing, too, like when when someone like you, uh, uh, you know, a giant octopus monster comes through the door and the main character goes, not again. Go, Wait a minute. Well, it's like that famous uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy moment where the uh, the missile gets turned into the uh, patoo- potted petunia. Oh, yes. And before yes. it falls, it says, oh, no, not again. Yeah. Douglas Adams, man, he's the yeah. master. I, like, and there was a pantser all the way. He like had no idea, like from page to page, what he was going to do. And yet somehow managed yeah. to pull all the stuff together. And for the absurdist, like kind of farcical style that he wrote those books in, it was absolutely yeah. perfect because you could have these weird asides these very British diversions, you know, that just didn't, they didn't go anywhere, but they were hilarious. And yeah, because that's the type of book you're totally on board for it. Yeah. Um, so, so as a novelist though, mm-hmm. like you have a different thing than me because I, I basically don't, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sprinter. You're a marathon runner. Yeah. Because like everything I want to do, I want to have it done, you know, by the end of the week or whatever it is. Right. I want to finish my, <laughs> I want to finish my thing and just like, Ooh, I want to, I want to get that endorphin is meanwhile, you're just like, you're lapping me and lapping me and lapping me. <laughs> so it's like doing these little sprints. So when you do that, like how detailed does, I, I mean, I say typical because you've written a couple, but like, I know mm-hmm. every, every, uh, 
every book is a different adventure and you're going in different directions and stuff too. Yeah. How much do you, do you, do you get down to, you know, like act one, act two, act three, or is it like, do you go by, is it, do you get as minute as chapter by chapter? Like this is going to happen in this chapter or do you even have like micro chapters within the chapter? Like, like this is going to happen here, then this scene, then this scene, like how far down do you get in a, in a sort of in your typical writing fashion see i'll give you kind of a basic i'll give you a basic outline of how i outline (laughs) and then we can if there's any specific parts you want to you want to dive into of course um and you'll see it's it's definitely a a hybrid because i almost always start with the story concept like okay about um and that's usually what just usually what occurs to me first what about if this happened or what about Mm -hmm. this kind of world or what about a world where this happened or Mm -hmm. this things like that that's almost always the first thing that occurs to me um, so let's give an example for the people then, because you have a really good one. So for the time shift trilogy, for the time shift trilogy, yes, t- tell yeah. people what it is that like the first thing that occurred to you that made you go, I want to know more about that. I had a picture pop into my head um, of a house with no doors, creepy old house with no doors, only windows, um, and then I got this this picture in my head of looking up at the window, and there's somebody like glaring down at you through the window. Hmm. Um, and yeah, they just kind of give me the chills, you know, thinking mm-hmm. about it. That's really creepy. And then thinking, okay, I just started asking questions. Who would be in there? How did they get in there? There's no doors. What are they doing in there? They don't seem very nice. So what's, what are they planning? That's, you know, a threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, and from there I started thinking, okay, I, I started kind of getting the kernel of the idea of, what they were doing in there, what, what what that guy is doing inside the house, how it's a danger to this small town that the house is in. And then I started thinking, OK, what kind of characters I, I knew it was going to be um, teenagers. Mm-hmm. I thought, what kind of teenagers would be the kind that would see that and say and kind of understand a little bit what's happening and say, we have to do something about this. And that's where I started with the two main characters, Malcolm and Valentine, the twins. Um, and everything else about the plot, everything else about the characters grew from those core concepts um, into, uh, you know, a first story that, um, you know, dealt with time travel and lightning storms and, and all that. And I was fortunate enough to get to write two sequels. And so that that expanded into where I could start to say, okay, well, how does time travel work in this universe? Right. And there, and therefore as a result, how does the universe function? What is time? How would you, could you use time, you know, in other ways? Um, and so it just, because I had the room to do it, I was able to fully explore the idea. Um, and some ideas would just pop into my head and I, and they ended up being ideas I could either go with or use, or, you know, morph or click into other things and use mm-hmm. other things just came from a lot of planning and thought. And, um, okay, if this is how time travel works, then really trying to <clears throat> be logical about what does that mean? And how does that work? What does that affect? Um, can it be bent? How far, uh, it, you know, before, before it breaks and, um, you know, then I gave it to um, once, you know, each one of those was written. I gave it to beta readers and I would tell them literally, I want you to try to break my time travel system because oh. um, I did not want to be one of those people <laughs> who's like, as soon as the book was out, people were like, oh, there's this huge hole in how your system works. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man. Um, 
So I thought this is going to be way better if I just tell people to do it before it ever, ever gets printed. Um, right. and so you're saying somehow you, you wouldn't want the, let's say, the end game of your book <laughs> to have huge time travel problems. Yeah. Or to have the director and the writer disagree about how the time yeah. travel worked and right. all of that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, pr- I'm pretty proud to say I think I have a fairly bulletproof system. Of course, no okay. system is flawless, but I feel like I ended up through um a lot of planning and a lot of you know beta readers and a lot of having zero pride about saying look break it break it if you can and then if they found inconsistencies i'd either either have to fix them or find where you know plot reasons why it was okay <laughs> um and so it, it ended up i think being a, being a pretty solid system um now, now, when you so you had you had basic idea so then did you sit down and develop that before you started writing um, I mean, I know we're, we're, we're brushing up against yeah. world building, which is a whole nother topic. Yeah. Too, but like, did you did you have the sort of the, the rules established before you actually went, you know, open no. the dark and stormy night once? So, yeah, when I when it's after I get the core idea and is it the core idea for the story and the world in which it exists and the core idea for the characters, then they all start to grow together organically. Um, and at that point, I'm not even writing, really. Um, and this is part of the, the, the point, the part for me that is very nebulous and not methodical. Mm. I'll, I, I'll take weeks or longer and literally just kind of daydream about it. Yes. Yeah. Daydreams, 100%. possibilities, yep. no form or function, no structure. There is nothing wrong. There's no bad ideas. And as soon as they pop in, I write them down. Um, do you, knowing, do you, do you actually, you actually like have a notebook that you, my phone. Yeah. Oh, okay. You just yeah. use the notes app and just put. Yeah, uh, either notes app or uh, or Evernote. Oh, okay. Um, Evernote. I'll, I'll use either one of those. Um, I like Zoho Notebook just because I like the oh. the, the, the and I like it because uh, there's no restrictions like Evernote has about how many devices you can have it on and plus oh, that's it, you know, nice. syncs to the cloud and stuff too. Um, so yeah, I, that that's the point where it's just I always call it kind of like the concept stage where okay. I'm just yeah you know like a kid just kind of playing around with it and having fun letting the ideas come to me and playing what if Mm -hmm. um and some of those don't go far beyond the concept phase for one reason or another i'll still write this stuff down and keep it because you never know where that might come in handy later on but there's a certain point where uh, i've you know everyone learns their own process there's a certain Mm -hmm. point where just naturally if I think it's something that's going to be legit, is this really going to go where all the daydreaming starts to become planning? It, it, it's like where some of the ideas I've come up with, up with, I start to say, you know what, if we ordered it this way, or if this happened, then this happened, or if the world worked this way, yeah. or what if the character said this or did this? Once I start getting those ideas that are clicking together stuff I've, I've dreamed up, then I start to be like, okay, this, this could be a real thing. Um, and that's when I'll start to be more structured. Um, and from there, I have multiple layers of outline. Um, so with the story, I have just the general cloud level outline. You know, here's the story. Here's a character st- start to finish, you know, maybe 10 pages. Um, just, you know, just kind of almost more like stream of thought, too. Okay. Um, getting a lot of the core things uh, uh, figured out. Then I'm going to have uh, an outline 
at this point, if I've decided, okay, I'm actually going to write this, then I do the second level outline, which is it's a level deeper than that or a level closer where so I'm that, starting that first before, before you get to the second level. So the first level is, is like full writing or is it just still like snippets of stuff? It's like guy walks into a bar, guy meets girl. I mean, or is it concepts like, is it and actually, ideas? Okay. Okay. So just like snippet, not, yeah. not actually like full prose. No, not at all. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, it is concepts and ideas. That's it. It's not even dialogue yet at that point. Okay. Um, um, so then, and then when you get to the like formatting, that, I'm not formatting that at all at, the, okay. at that point. Basically, it's at that point I already will usually have an idea of like points A, B, and C. You know, sure. Uh, j- just in general. So when I start writing that, usually I'll start with how it starts and end with how I think it's going to end. But you know, in the middle it can be pretty nebulous. The next uh, version down, like the, the the closer in level of, of outline, that's where I'm starting to take the stuff I've thought of and organize it into like uh, I'm putting it into like acts one, two, and three. Um, you know, here's what could be the low point. Here's you know different character beats and you know other. Uh, here's probably like the inciting incident and okay. you know just introduce. So I'm getting it into like a very loosely molded piece of clay that, you know, resembles, you could see like, this could be a story. Um, and at that point I'm getting a lot, it's at that point I'm getting a lot of things clear in my head. I'm starting to see and get to know the characters a little more. Um, if I've got a flesh out, whatever I have to flesh out world building wise, that's where it really starts to happen. Uh, cause I really want to understand, uh, how things are going to work. Um, and that's where it starts to really become a, a, a story. Um, then I've got the up close, uh, like like right up in your in your face uh, outlined, which I only do in chunks. Um, okay. So I'll write the very up close outline for three or four chapters at most, and that's literally every story beat, everything that happens. That's when a lot of dialogue will start occurring to me, so I'll start jotting that down. It's almost like a really rough ugly script like a screenplay almost um so there's not a ton of prose you know it's a lot of beats and 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 dialogue and things um and it's only after i've done that that i'll go back and start to actually write those chapters and one of the reasons I, i i do that kind of iteratively like that is i still am leaving myself room for coming up with better ideas and coming up with things like um, I don't want to do that whole up close outline all the way through because I know inevitably I'm going to think of something better for certain things. And in the moment, I'm going to come up with character things that I wouldn't have thought of before because it's as I'm writing, I'm writing. That's when I really start to get to know the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I'm in danger of the characters steering a scene in the direction <laughs> I have not considered. <laughs> so I still am leaving myself room. And that's where another place I'm a little bit of a hybrid because I'm okay. I because the outline is never the authority to me. The story is always the authority. Um, yeah. and, and if, you know, something That's better, better presents along the way, mm-hmm. the outline is always, is always going to change to, to accommodate it. Um, that, that's where I would like, I like the roadmap thing. My analogy, I always like, I always like to think of it is I'm going from New York to Los Angeles. I want to stop at Chicago. I want to stop at St. Louis. I want to stop at Phoenix, mm-hmm. but other than that, I don't know where it's going to go. So it's like, but I said, so like, I know my, I know where I started. I know where I'm going, but I know that along the way things are going to get weird. But I, but I also know the stops along the way that I want to get to. But, but yeah, in between those, who knows? Right. Yeah, it's playtime in between those. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and I also I do another ancillary outline for 
any major characters, you know, the main characters and the main supporting characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I do uh, an outline that is solely for character arcs. Um, oh, wow. And I actually I actually draw arcs for all the characters. Draw. So, yeah. I, well, and, and I say draw. I shouldn't say draw. I, oh, okay. I was, I was about I, to be really excited. No, like, you actually I, draw the things no, out? I don't create them like cartoons. <laughs> what I mean is, so, uh, you know, character Jim starts at a mm-hmm. point at this point over here. Mm-hmm. And I and I want him to end up like this at the end of the story. Okay. So what character things need to happen in order to change Jim from this at the opening of the story to this at the end. Um, so I'll try to identify it's usually five or six beats that are slowly guiding the character towards where I want him to be at the end. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll draw like, like an, an arc like this, like literally like an arch. Um, yeah. And at five or six points along the way, I'll note huh. in just a, a in just a, a couple of sentences, this is what happens to continue to push him along his arc yeah. um, until we get to the top where it's kind of like the character crisis, you know, and then how does that resolve in, into whatever I want it to end up as, um, whether it's, you know, the good guy becoming better or the bad guy getting worse or even, you know, redemption or whatever. Um, for me, doing it visually like that actually really helps me to envision the the, the character arc. So then do you have those beats like in then your master document, like as you're yeah. like, you know, basically like uh, they walk into the library, this guy's a thing like and then have a thing like an asterisk sort of like this is where Jim learns he needs to yeah. play well with others. Yeah, those get written into the outline for oh, sure. Wow. OK, mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's it's like I hyper plan in some ways uh-huh. and I hyper don't in others. OK, then let's talk about that. What is where is it that you sort of leave yourself room to like, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Definitely mostly at the beginning. Um, the farther along I go, usually the heavier I'm going to plan. I, um, when it comes to, to dialogue, I mean, can you ever plan dialogue? (laughs) I'm trying to think. I, every once in a while, I actually just had, I I just had this happen to me where I I knew the scene I was going to do. I knew the characters that were in it. And then I was like, okay, so they're talking the yep, yep, yep. And what is it going to be? And then I was like, oh, she's going to make this analogy about the guy. She's going to say, oh, you're like a, you're like a shark or whatever it was. Um, I actually know what it was, but I don't want to give it away because it's too good. Uh, <laughs> like, you're like a shark. Oh, what do you mean? Like, oh, you're, you're, you have dead eyes or whatever it is. I was like, boom, boom, boom. Like, oh, yeah, she's going to nail him with that one. So sat down, wrote the entire thing, went away. The next day, I went, I, I, like, I was like, I was like, oh, man, I really know that scene. Oh, man, I didn't put that line in. Like, I, like the whole thing, I was like, I'm just going to build to this big thing of like, you're a shark and didn't even put it in. Like, <laughs> like, okay, well, that's that. And that's the thing is, for me, at least, when I'm writing a conversational scene, dialogue scene, which in audio drama, that's all it is. I'm just listening. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know as much as it is like, uh, yes, there are my characters. Yes, I'm, I'm doing it. They all sound like me at the end of the day, I guess. I'm just listening and transcribing. So yeah. I don't know, honestly, what they're going to say because someone says something and then here's how that person answers. And if it's a different character, they're going to answer in a different way. And this is that's where the weird thing of like i know it's me but at the same time i know what they would and wouldn't say oh absolutely yeah it's well it's kind of like having a a dream where yeah you're experiencing the thing that you're creating in real time (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. Um, yes. So it's very much like that, especially when you really get in like that flow state where yeah. like the, the scene is really singing and the characters are really like bouncing off each other. Yeah. And that gets easier the more you get to know your characters because it, it's so much easier for your, for them to just kind of take it and run. Uh, and that's when it was really fun for me because uh, even though I tend to write stuff with, you know, action and kind of bombastic stuff, my favorite stuff is always the character stuff. In fact, this next one I have coming out is very character heavy. There's very little genre stuff in it at all. Wow. Um, but I, I, I really like, you know, the character interactions are so fun to me that it's just a joy when they really start to like it doesn't take effort like it's yeah. just they're like you said they're just talking and um yeah their humor comes out and um and you you've probably experienced in this where you're you laugh out loud at something oh. your quote-unquote character said yes <laughs> even though your brain said it yeah yeah <laughs> um, i i the, the, i would always tell when I when I'm doing a reading of one of my things, I always tell people, just so you know, I am going to laugh at this because <laughs> yeah. I just just as everyone, it's not egotism. It's that I have my sense of humor. Right, yeah, I know what I think is funny. Yeah, yeah. and and that's why I put it in because I thought it was funny. And I so thought when it, it comes yeah. back from your mouth, I'm going to laugh because I think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, and they might think I'm an egotistical jerk, but I'm like, no, I. Okay, yeah. fine. I'll take it. But at the same time, no. I just you just have to embrace the the weirdness of what it is to do this. Yeah, and, yes. and, and go along with it. And um, well, like I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, in the most recent novel I ever written, it's not out, but um, there's you know it's it's teenage characters, and mm -hmm. um, there's a scene where they're at in the lunchroom. This little skinny kid basically lives on Twinkies, and there's this other friend who's uh, just built like a tank um and he's eating uh, like a sushi roll and the big tank i asked the little guy how do you how are you so thin you know when, when that's all you eat and the little guy points at his sushi and says how are you built like colossus from the x-men when that's all you eat <laughs> 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 and uh yeah and it just went on the big guy's like this is real food and the skinny guy is like, this is real food. I can eat it. So that makes it real. <laughs> and yeah, you write that. And I had a blast with it. I still remember it, obviously. So I liked it. Yeah. And you just think, well, I hope other people think it's funny because I do. Yeah, I, I've actually th th this is where maybe the uses comes in. I found myself quoting stuff that I've written and then not but not realizing it and going, oh, that was really good. Where's that from? <laughs> oh, yeah. Me. I wrote that. My favorite writer. Because <laughs> I wrote um, I wrote uh, an adaptation of 20,000 Leagues. And so I'm going to I'm going to talk about that more in just a second because I, I'm talking about outlining how I outlined that, which is not the way you did it. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the things that it has because I want to have my Captain Nemo be really severe and so it's also a woman in it, so it, it's, it's, it's she. So um, when someone makes a mistake, she says, don't be smart. Don't, uh, don't be sorry. Be better. And I found myself uh, one of my one of my kids did something. And I was like, like, like oh, I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. Be better. And I'm like, oh, man, I just quoted myself. <laughs> a wise man once too. said. Don't yeah, a wise man once said. <laughs> I'm there was something I had heard in a, in a production that someone was <laughs> A real poet, a bard, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I I am much more of a pantser 
because I don't do any of that stuff that you said. I, I wish I did. Like, I wish I I wish I took more notes. I wish I outlined it, but I don't. And I, I always feel like I'm I'm always like running in front of the train, like just trying to frantically put down stuff because I got hired to write an adaptation of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea for a youth theater. And so they basically they the only caveats they said was the entire story takes place inside of a submarine. Like, so there, there's no going out, no walk on the seafloor, no going to mysterious islands. Like, Probably all is inside. Set constraints, right? Right, Probably. exactly. So it's Crimson Tide, essentially, for, you know, for youth. But, like, the Full idea move. was that they wanted to build, yeah, <laughs> they wanted to build, like, a, a submarine that, like, the audience was inside with them. So, like, we're all trapped in here together kind of thing. Like, okay, so that's one constraint. And the second one, that's a chase, that there's someone pursuing them. So it's like a, you know, like, so, you know, say, so I'm like, the, the Crimson Tide was one of my things that I was kind of thinking about. Hunt for October, like, mm-hmm. those kind of submarine things. So I was like, okay. How the hell am I going to do this? So, like, you, you, I, I absorbed every version of 20,000 Leagues. I watched for like the black and white silent one all the way to the there's a television adaptation, like everything to see what everyone did. Uh, and then I sat down with a, a piece of paper and I wrote down every submarine cliche I could think of. Like what? Like what has to be in every submarine movie? And so I like that. So I wrote like iceberg, and then uh, like going too deep, and like all these things. And basically, that was the only outline I ever had. Like I just I had oh. basically what I was like. I was like, okay, so they do this thing, and then like because I because I knew the basics of like you have to introduce Captain Nemo, you have to introduce the the people who come on board, you have to introduce the conflict, the person who's chasing him, all that stuff. Okay, that's just plot, you know. Like you basically do that in order. But then I was like, okay, now what happens? And I would go to my list. Iceberg. Okay. So they have to go to the south. Then they go like, okay, they have to go too deep. Uh, why, why are they going too deep? Uh, because the person is pursuing them. All right, so they go too deep. You know, like all these things, like how they get food and like all these all these things. So like I would just one by one go and check off the list until I got to the end. And I was like, oh, yeah, look at that. I meant, like, I meant 90 minutes. Like that was – I got to the end and then like nice. – and then, and then everyone dies, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> But that was the only outline I ever did. But it was – I mean – I, I guess, I, I, but I'm not saying don't outline to people. I'm saying like there's different ways of doing it. I just keep it running in my head. Like mm-hmm. I sort of know what all the stuff is. I wish I was better at taking notes. I wish I was better at outlining. I keep trying to, and I just want to get to writing. Yeah, um, I, I totally get that. And it, it, and I will say the the heaviness of with which I planned was largely largely started because with the Time Shift trilogy, I knew. I'm going to have a large cast of characters. I'm going to have crazy time travel stuff. If I don't like keep hold of this, like if I don't keep an iron grip on this thing, it's going to spin out of control. Um, So that's why I went in such a heavy planner. And there are some books I'm still that way with. Um, But then there are others like this one that's coming out, this last adventure. Um, uh, Coming out February 1st from Lerner. (laughs) Can, can 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 it be pre ordered now? Uh, in November, probably. Oh, in November. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. So this um, fall. <laughs> uh, yes. So, th- but this book, because it was less of that, I knew it was just going to be a one-off book. Mm-hmm. It was a much more personal story. Um, I still did, you know, a, a good bit of outlining and, and, and things, but it was definitely like the light version of what I, what I described. Um, right. Because, yeah, I wasn't juggling, a, you know, universe bending stuff. Um, it was a much more up close and personal thing. So I could be a little freer with that. So I, I'm not stringent on the process. It, it definitely breathes and you know, expands and contracts depending on what I'm writing. Do you have emotional beats like written in 
to the outline for like what you're going to do, like, mm-hmm. like keep this light or I mean, do you like make notes to yourself of like, uh, you know, like where you're at in the in the in the journey to, yeah. to make sure the tone of the scene is right? I do my best. Yeah, of course, sometimes with that you want like that's where good beta readers come in because yeah. they may be able to say, hey, if you're not hitting the tone that you were going for. Right. Um, like, uh, I'm, yeah, there would be times when I wanted to shift from something intense to something heartfelt. Mm-hmm. But like the readers would say, this feels intense the whole way through. So <laughs> I'd have to find a way to shift it from intense to going down to something heartfelt. And um uh, but yeah, I, I always, you know, one of my main questions in every scene is what do I want to make the reader feel in this uh, scene? Okay. Um, and so a lot of my, my energy, especially when I'm at the writing point where, you know, this pen to paper is that's one of the main things in the forefront of my mind is what do I want you to feel in this scene? Um, and I try to write to that. That's, that's one of the reasons that music is such a huge part, um, of my process. Cause all, a lot of scenes have a soundtrack. And okay. I'll choose a song that has the, both the rhythm and the feel that I want the scene to accomplish. Um, and that helps me re- really thread that needle a lot better. So that's part of your, your preparation is getting mm-hmm. that. So like, now, if there's that, a scene. Like, actual, like song songs, like, like oh, yeah. singing songs? Yeah. Well, it could oh, be. Wow. Any, it depends on the scene. Sometimes they're uh, instrumental, you know, um, okay. stuff from movie soundtracks or whatever. Uh, sometimes not. It, it's I skew towards instrumental. Um in quieter scenes because I don't want the, the lyrics to distract me right. uh, or throw yeah, me too. off. Yeah. But yeah, if it's a higher energy scene, then it often doesn't matter if there's words or not. Hmm. Um, because if I'm, if, if it happens to be like, let's say I'm writing a fight scene. Um, if it's an instrumental song that matches it, great. If it's a song with words, I'll just crank it up to the volume where I'm not even really hearing the words. Um, it's just a wall of noise uh, huh. around me. And then I'll just kind of let that seep into the bones of the scene. Um, but yeah, music's a huge part of the process. Wow. Okay. So you don't have like a standard, just writing mix that you just play like every, every <laughs> book has a different one or every like scene is different one, or do you have like every book has, is? every book has a different, uh, that's actually one of my early, I didn't even touch on this. That's one of my early things in the, when I'm in the conceptual stage. Yeah. One of the things I'll do is build the soundtrack um, okay. for, for it because um, actually building the soundtrack helps me develop the story because um, I'll come across I'll go in with ideas, you know, of like, sure, this is kind of how I want it to feel. And I'll start identifying songs and putting them in the playlist that match that. But then I'll come across songs that I didn't expect. But once it starts playing, I'm like, you know what, that could turn the scene into that or it could make yeah. or it could make this feeling really matches something I already knew I wanted to accomplish, or this sounds like it would be the theme to this character. And it would help me kind of, you know, get there, uh, get that, that character's personality fleshed out a little more. Um, and so that's actually fairly early in my process. Um, when I build that, um, and then when I'm actually writing, it's either one of those songs mm-hmm. or if it's in one of those in between things, you know, where like something doesn't have a specific thing I chose for. Um, I, I go to rainymood.com. I just have rain. Oh. rain I have thunderstorm sounds in the background. Okay. Oh, and that wow. started because when I was writing the timeshare trilogy, that's very weather heavy. Yeah. Um, and so I, yeah. So I thought, Hey, well, you know, this is perfect. Thunderstorms in the background. And it just became my go-to white noise. Um, and now, yeah, if no matter what I'm writing, if it's something that doesn't have a specific song, I go to that. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. My my uh, go to things are video game soundtracks are big. Oh, nice. I like that. Um, but then also, uh, it depends on, on the mood of too. But I really like park loops. So for <laughs> for yeah. really hardcore Disney fans, uh, every part of of every disney park has a background track Uh, that plays usually about an hour of music and it just loops and so i can just throw that on and it's like it's all instrumental and it's all designed to be in the background of whatever it is that you're doing so i find it and it's it's also usually high energy or or depending on what it is and also you could but it also can go by genre too so if it's something silly like there's there's a sort of old-timey thing in main street usa or there's the more side sci-fi thing of tomorrowland but they're designed to not draw attention to themselves so i i I find they're good for background there's this one website and i'm i'm blanking on the name but it's sort of like rainy mood but it gives you a number of different sounds and you can choose the like there's volume sliders for each one there's like sort of like a background coffee shop sound there's campfire there's this and that um and i used that for like I use the campfire sounds for one scene uh, in this new book uh, that they were around a campfire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did something I, I, another thing I'd never done before, cause there's one chapter where um, there's no sound in the chapter, except the only sound that's described is the, um, the main character's heartbeat. Cause he's terrified oh. in the scene. Um, so while I was writing that scene, I found a, like a 10 hour, heartbeat loop on <laughs> wow. it didn't it didn't take me 10 hours but i found well, like sure. a, like a 10 hour heartbeat loop on youtube and huh. i just i cranked it up to where that's all i could hear in my headphones um and uh yeah and that i kind of you just you know you kind of hack your own brain and yeah. and uh and tricked it into sort of writing in that rhythm huh. so when you had that line do you know obviously you know what what you're gonna write each day so like now you sit down time to write you go like i have this thing do you actually like look at your thing and go this is monday this is tuesday this is wednesday or or or, or i guess i should say this is next this is the one after that as well because you know obviously life happens and you can't necessarily (laughs) know that tuesday you're going to get to write you hope you can but yeah um, do you have it like done by like this is day one day two day three day four i mean actually do you take the outline and move it to a calendar um well i write i write sequentially so okay that, uh, that I, makes I, I was so, ask that too yeah so basically i'll outline a few outline the next few chapters mm-hmm. um and then i just know when i sit down to write i'm writing whatever the next chapter is um and then you know I stop when I when I have to, and then that actually because I know I always know what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily say okay, like Monday the third, I'm writing this Tuesday, you know, Tuesday the fourth, I'm writing this because I just know whatever's next in the story, that's the next thing I'm writing. Okay. Uh, so whenever I sit down to write next, I know what's on the docket. Um, and again, you know, there's no right or wrong way uh, no. for for that. I, I also write sequentially. I've never been able to. Yeah, some people that. write like the candy scenes first like they oh, get all yeah, their favorite scenes done yeah to me i i can't imagine doing that because for me part of the the part of the way i get myself through the scenes that i need to do that i'm not necessarily super jazzed about is yeah. knowing that that candy scene is coming that i'm going to get to write yeah. so it's like the the carrot on the stick for myself um and, and yeah just as, as an example of how there's really no one right way to do it there's uh a friend of mine um 
I, I won't give her name because she may not want her process out there, but uh, <laughs> she's a New York Times bestseller. So this okay. will tell you that, you know, anything's valid. Once right. she get once she gets an idea that she knows she's going to write, she essentially locks herself in a room for a few weeks until that's done and like runs oh. herself insanely ragged and just just it's like. You know, she's bleeding out um, and she just won't stop until the first draft is done. And it takes her a few weeks and then she'll go back and kind of hammer it into shape and things. um, But yeah, it's it's the complete opposite of the way I do it. Yeah. Um, I've suffered from my art, but I I don't think I can (laughs) torture myself for my art. And that's just what she needs to do to get them out there. Yeah. Um, So it's very funny because we all have our own quirks. Right. Everybody's got their own weird process they need to do. My like... I didn't come through for I did writing obviously through high school and college and stuff too, but I never took any formal official like here's how to write a novel, here's how to write a screenplay courses at, at all. I feel like all my on the job training before I actually sat down to write my first thing was Dungeons and Dragons. Was oh, playing nice. role playing games. So whenever I think about plotting and stuff too, I think in terms of role playing games. Uh, I mean, it's it's a different process than just about. And I, I know we've we've talked about this before, so this is nothing new that you've heard. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it'll be new to the listeners uh, because when you're when you're a dungeon master, I, I actually most stuff I do is not D and D, but I'll use D and D terms because that's the most popular right now. Um, when you're dungeon master, you can set the world. But you are not the main character like the, your players are the main characters and you don't know what they're going to do. So you sort of have to just like design a world and, and tell your story with a certain amount of freedom because you don't know what they're going to do. And so you have to be able to react and change stuff, too. And I sort of when I started out. It was very, very dictatorial. And then the further I went along, like, oh, OK, like none of us are having fun now. So like, let's, <laughs> yeah. if I open it up and be like, okay, what are you going to do now? It was sort of, it came a lot more exciting. And so I always find that's how I approach a scene is I have my main characters. I know, like, essentially I know what their personalities are. I know what they will and won't do. And then I, I have my, my NPCs, essentially whoever their, their antagonists, whoever is around and I put them in a room together and then I see what happens. So I don't always like I know that, OK, so this one, they have to get from here to there, like they have to get past whatever the guard and have to, how they're going to do it. I don't know. Let's find out. And so, like, I, I have set the stakes and then I just sort of let the players play and then I just sort of write down what happens. Like, I know that the good guys are going to win or the bad guys are going to win in this case, but that's pretty much all I know. So that's all I've planned for the situation. Like, I mean, I know scene one is this like for a swashbuckling script it'll be scene one is this scene two is this scene three is that and that's pretty much all there there usually is it's just you know essentially three acts even though they're they're very very small Mm -hmm. acts uh and i just i have like okay the ladies are going to find out about the thing they're going to meet the the guy he's going to give the thing they're going to fight here they're going to do and then how do they resolve it and i don't honestly know when i start out how they're going to beat this person or how they're going to win or or if they're going to lose or or any of that kind of stuff i just sort of let it happen and see so I kind of like I have a structure, but within that structure, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I get that because um, I think in each of the, one of the books I've done, I have ninety percent of the end game figured out. Right, but there's ten percent that I just kind of trust. I'm gonna I'm gonna get it. Yeah, <laughs> I trust that. All right. By the time I get there and I'm going to write, I'll figure something out. And so far, I've been able to do it each time. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like I pulled it off again. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I managed um, to fool him again. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's been some times where I was like, I don't know how this is all going to. I know the threads. 
I, I know in general this and this and that, but there's this thing over here that I'm not sure how I'm going to resolve or like how that's going to make sense with all the rest of it. And, and inevitably I end up, you know, just it, with with the momentum you build, you know, doing the getting the rest of the story done. I feel like that energy kind of feeds into coming up with stuff that's going to work and and filling in the blanks. And so, um, yeah, I don't always have to know like 100 percent everything by the time. Uh, by the time I'm writing, uh, uh, although sometimes, you know, I get super specific. It just depends. Like um, by the time I was done with the first time shift book, mm-hmm. I knew what the last scene of the last book was going to be. Ah, OK. Yeah. yeah ending is the ending is what I was going to come to next. Mm-hmm. Sort of as an as, uh, ending for our conversation. Nice. Have you always known the ending before you start writing? Always. Um let me think for the books that have um, come out that I've actually sold mm-hmm. most for the most part. Yeah. Okay. Um, or, or at least or, or, very, or, or specifically for it's a mix of both. Okay. There are certain parts of like the end that I know. 100% ironclad. This is going to happen and it's going to happen this way. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily figure everything out like that, though. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, some things, like I said, sometimes something happens and it just changes your plan. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for example, there's a, a character that for a long time I planned to kill in the third <laughs> time, time shift book. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> there was another character that that I had planned to die first. And I, and I did that, that character died and it was so painful. I decided not to kill the other one. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Cause it was like, it hurt me so bad <laughs> killing that one character in the, in the final book that I thought I, I can't do this again. And so wow. I figured so they, out, a, they were spared from, yeah, the they were spared blade. and I, I figured out another ending for that character. Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, sometimes stuff like that will happen and you got to be willing to go with it if it feels right. Yeah. Um, I, you know, as far as for, well, like for the time shift books, mm-hmm. as far as like the overarching, the, the high points of how it was going to end, you know, mm-hmm. who was going to end up where, uh, you know, by the end, I, I know all of that. Um, th- but th- this is another case where, like, the the main uh, villain for that one, I didn't figure out a hundred percent how they were going to win until not that long before I wrote those scenes. I knew I had the threads, mm-hmm. but it was one of those things that, and I knew kind of in, in general the threads that I wanted to use in that, but I hadn't put it all together. Um, and so it was kind of fun for me when I when I realized, oh, yeah, I, they can do it this way. <laughs> uh, and it was very satisfying because it's like, oh, man, I built this world and these characters to the point where I can use the things I've already established in the world to do this. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to create anything new. Um, so, yeah, that was actually very satisfying. It's like, oh, you can is... fool yourself into thinking you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's almost <laughs> like I did this on purpose. Uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I thought like, I passed Ryan. <laughs> right. Yeah. Good work, me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, as I'm sure it's, it's, it's obvious, like there's what's super planned for me and what's not, they all tend to interweave with each other. Hmm, um, okay. and the, you know, the farther along I've, I've gotten with this, the more comfortable I've, I've become with that. Um, yeah. knowing that there are some things I absolutely have to have to have planned in order to write with confidence. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there, cause 
if I the overall plan, that's what it, it allows me to do is to really write. If I know and generally where I'm going, I can write much more confidently um, and I can kn- I can know where I'm ultimately aiming everything, uh, which is going to affect, you know, how I how I narrate certain scenes. Um, it's going to allow me to put in little hints and things that are fun for me to put in mm. um, that you're not going to pick up until like a second read. Um, then you're like that. You're like, oh, okay. I could see how this was. This was pointing to that the whole time. Um, but yeah, at the same time, there's there are some things that I'm totally comfortable with not planning and, and until I'm there. So as you've written over the course of years, like obviously you've been you've been at the at the desk for years now. <laughs> yeah. Do you find yourself outlining slash planning more, or do you are you like, oh, I, I I've done this enough times that I can do that, or is it is it by project? It's by project. Um, so this book that's coming out, um, I didn't outline as much. The one that um, I just finished writing late last year that we're currently shopping around, mm-hmm. um, I planned more more than that one. Um, so not on the time shift level, but definitely higher than this last one. Um, and and again, with that, I went back to kind of larger cast of characters. Mm-hmm. The story was was a little bit grander in scope. Um, at the same time, it's not a time travel story, so it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's not as tricky. Right. <laughs> um, so it can just be linear. Yeah, I can be a little more a little more linear with it. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's somewhere in between those two. So it does kind of bend and flex depending on the needs of the project. Meet Zinnia. You are being very polite to someone who is attempting to kill us. Her wife, Saffron. You can plan all you want, but what matters is what you do when your plan falls apart. And their best friend, Goldie. Glad we didn't miss all the fun. Swords in hand, they defend their city from the worst of humanity. I am Lord Buxton Blue. Vicious Soir. The Fraconian Lake. Equity Electric. Follow their adventures on the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society audio drama podcast. Available now at truestory.fm slash swashbuckling. All right. Well, then, uh, before we before we head out here, let's let's see if we can uh, make a little magic ourselves. So cool. uh, I have a, a list of um, of elements. I have I have a genre, a location and an object. So we are going to take. One of each of those things, and see if we can come up with some sort of a story based on that. So uh, I have this in front of me. So <laughs> I will I will ask you to pick a number between. See, I'm sorry. The, the the top row actually takes up a number as well. So actually, it would be 16 different genres in this one. Uh, so pick a number between one and 16. Seven. Seven. Ooh, it's a fantasy. Fantasy. Okay. okay. Uh, let's see. For locations, I have more. This is actually uh, 30 different 21. locations. 21. Oh, okay, 21 is a gas or filling station. I should write this down. Interesting. Fantasy. Gas station. And for uh, an object to include, I have 30 of those as well. 12. 12 is a forged painting. Whoa, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's see if we can come up with something here. So it's a fantasy story involving a gas station and a forged painting. Okay. My first thought is that the painting is magical or cursed. 
Okay, yeah. So um, if it's a gas station, that has to be some sort of like this has to be urban fantasy or something like that. Unless we have some sort of filling station for unicorns or dragons. Yeah, unless you play fast and loose with the term like gas station. True. It could be way station. It could be. Or it could be even like, I mean, yeah, man, it could be so many things. Right. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it could be. That's a, well, that's a to fantasy, fantasy. So it could be an inn far. or a tavern. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm like oh, that feel, I, feel like that's, I feel like that's too easy. It's a little too like fantasy tropey. Um, so it's like a bunch of people need to uh, discuss a forged painting at a tavern. I'm like, ah, that's the start of a D&D campaign. Maybe there's a certain type of magic that you have to refill a receptacle for the magical energy. So. Okay. So like sort of we're brushing and steampunky kind of thing where there's like a there's vehicles that go along but they have to be filled up by some sort of pixie dust-esque something or other yeah it could be a vehicle. i wasn't even thinking vehicle i was thinking like oh you know if okay. you had some oh, of course we could go with vehicle but i was even thinking like um a filling station for um i mean what if whatever the magic system it is, what if it's powered by these stones that have to be replenished almost like kyber crystals, but okay, but their yeah. power has to be reinfused every once in a while. Right. Or you just trade in your dead stones for, <laughs> for live ones. And then, so, and then so the dwarves that mine them will reinfuse them. Oh, and then okay. or, them. or you swap them out. Yeah. You just swap. Like course. you basically take out the things. Like the Tesla battery ones. where instead right. of recharging, you just swap you just, out the battery. Right. Pull out the battery yeah. and pull in a new one. Like, uh, My gems are dead. I need new, yeah. uh, I need so, new gems. I guess would they be? I see how far into the world but is. Are they like flying wagons? I mean, are they, are they basically you know fantasy version of cars, or are they? Um, oh, well, what would like you like? Carriages. What's what sounds what what sounds good to you? I don't know. It's it's I, it's, I always want fantasy. I I I always want to go farther. I I, I don't want to have it be like oh it's like a car but uh, it's magic. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to <laughs> just take a thing that we have and just be like, now it's magic. I'm trying to think of something that's a little bit more. Well, big. what if they're like, maybe the, and maybe this isn't a mode of transportation that everybody uses. It's specialized. But I mean, what if the like the gems or whatever or portal machines, you know, you use them to oh. like to pop open a, a wormhole or something. And uh, uh, so, you know, it, maybe it's one trip per gem or something. And yeah. uh, once you're out of gems, you got to get a new bag of rocks so you can keep. <laughs> but, you know, you only but only ones who can actually, you know, take advantage of it are actually able to use it. So it could be a very rare thing. What if they're like automatons, essentially? Like what if like it's actually like a, a mechanical animal? Like it's hmm. a thing that actually flies, like actually has flapping wings. Like a mecha pegasus. Yeah, exactly. But then it's, oh, so, like it's so powered by a, a thing. Yeah. It's like you a gem. You have the stones or whatever. So like the powered, like a gem heart that's. Uh, yeah, right. And it has to yeah. be either filled up or whatever. So like this is a way station. So that could be fun because you could yeah. have, have like, like the rich guys have the pegasus and like oh. the, the, the mecha dragon. Yeah. And, and like the, the poor guys have the, like the mecha donkey. Yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or just like the hierarchy of flying animals. So like when you get to the bottom, it's just like, I have a pigeon. Like that's like, that's the, that's the, the Edsel of the, or it goes up from there. And after Boy, you have like the, how do you fly on that pigeon? <laughs> <laughs> Every yeah, you know, like they're they're the ones that are everywhere. You know, there's like oh, a maybe, thousand pigeons and what if the, flying around. But what if, like, there's the only like two or three them. dragons. Yeah, what if the poorest of them almost use the pigeons as like a, yeah. you know, like the kite boarders where maybe the pigeon pulls them, but they're on a skateboard or something. So, oh. they, <laughs> so they can't actually fly, but the pigeons. Oh, yeah, they can glide. So they all have to like glom onto a bigger thing and then like sort of <laughs> kite their way down. 
But I, I like the, the the hierarchy of mechanized animals yeah. as transportation powered by these gem hearts. Yeah. <laughs> what if someone's trying to sell a painting in exchange for gems? Okay. Oh, I would say that's the thing is that the people are obviously paying for the yeah. service. Yeah. To get their their gems charged, not, or not just anyone, or whatever. Not just anyone can reinfuse the gems. So it's a service right. that you purchase. So what if somebody is? I, I guess we if yeah, I we, say, also, we, we established that, that like why there's a gas station there. But I guess that doesn't have to be part of the thing. Mm-hmm. It could be that they're doing something else. But it would be interesting to have a a uh, a chase scene with these things, like oh, yeah. falling from like you sort of sort of like a, a attack of the clones. You know, that sort of that idea of like uh, someone like running and having to leap from oh, flying, from, uh, flying machines to flying, flying machines. Yeah, exactly. Flying machines to flying machines. Or especially or, or maybe they're all between like between the two of them. Maybe they're all like maybe a bunch of them are like hovering in a line to get uh-huh. the ref- refill. Yeah. So it's a convenient thing to hop back. Oh. Like, yeah. So that could be like the, you know, jumping, like running on top of the car yeah. roofs, like in a chase scene or something. I like that. Is that like if this guy's goes to shell? Or whoever it is, we have to figure out who our main character is um, to sell the painting, and it, and it goes wrong. And so he's got to run. He has to escape. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I guess so let's, let's let's talk about character then. So who is our our main person? Well, um, he's somebody who would be willing to trade a forged painting for magical <laughs> gems. True. So he's uh, <laughs> he's he, a grifter or she, of some sort, or, or, she. or it, or I guess I, we have to figure that out too. Um, uh, is someone who's hustling, so yeah. they're. They have obviously aspirations above where they're at, mm-hmm. uh, and so are they trying to are ascend they hustling? to a thing because there's yeah. like a very strict. I, I mean, even what we're talking about, a class structure is already developing. Just yeah, from exactly talking about that. So the have dragons low-class. and the have not dragons, right? <laughs> 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 the, the have dragons and the have not dragons. That might be our title. Bring <laughs> <laughs> that down. Um, in the, I could almost see this as an opening scene of like, yeah, this is somebody starts as this, you know, at least appearing to be this grifter type. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they actually are, or maybe there's some deeper reason that they're trying to do this. Or this is, the, or they're just really good at appearing that way. This is their first time mm-hmm. trying to do this. And obviously it goes terribly wrong. Or it always goes wrong for them. <laughs> yeah. Like, or, I mean, perpetually trying yeah. to do this. Or it could almost be like the Han Solo type character that the hero or heroine meets up with, like oh, at, a, yeah. at a certain point where yeah, they're, sure. yeah, maybe they're trying to get through somewhere and, and they're, they happen to be here or in line to do this like everybody else. And then they happen to be like there when this grifter is trying to, to hawk this fake painting. Yeah. Um, so it's a forged painting. Did our main character forge it, or are they just the ones selling it, or did, or like, or or stole it, or, or whatever? Like, are they actually an artist? So maybe well, that was maybe that's sort of like they were an actual artist, and they found that no one was interested in their arts until they did an exact replica of a famous piece of <laughs> art, and then suddenly everybody got really excited about that, and so now they're they, they, they sort of like the it's what they always wanted to do, but not in the way they always wanted to do it. That could be interesting, yeah. So you already have that conflict there of like the thing I'm successful at, you know, makes me feel bad even yeah. though I really enjoyed the process. So that could be the thing that like that's their backstory unfulfilled wish, you know, mm. to be a to be right. a successful artist in their own right. Yes, to do their stuff as opposed to recreating other people's. Yeah. That makes me wonder if there's if there could be like 
I'm wondering, could the painting, because it seems like they would they're, they're, they would have to fail to make the trade, like to, to right. sell the painting. But um, would it be interesting if or the is painting it, is it a trap? Like, is well, it is it the cops or is it a setup? Or well, I'm wondering about the painting itself. It would be interesting if the forged painting was actually a, a commission, and they oh, actually. Yeah. What if they actually oh, pa- yeah. painted? That's really good. What if they actually painted over something else that it ends up being a key factor in the story? Oh, that's but interesting. They, but they don't realize it, so they're trying to hawk it just to to get where they want to need to go. Uh, but it ends up being like one of the one of the keys to this whole thing is like hidden under the forgery they did. That's interesting. I was also wondering if 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 the original got destroyed, and theirs is the only one left. And I don't know if this is putting a hat on a hat, but it's it's like a like a Goonies thing where like there's a map like hidden in the image, you know, to get to the thing or whatever. Well, if we're, if we're dialing kind of high, higher into the hijinks, there could be yeah, like, there could I'm be a big fan of hijinks. yeah, there could be multiple reasons that this painting yeah, because yeah, because it has to be that everybody wants it. Yeah, there could be, or maybe even at this point in the story, the you know the the grifter character doesn't even realize what they have. Um, mm-hmm. So they have no idea why people <laughs> want this painting, or maybe yeah. it, maybe at this point in the in the story, if it's early enough, don't even realize that people are after the painting, which could explain why they're just trying to trying to trade it for some. That's really gems. good. It could be okay. So we have it that they were commissioned to do the thing. Maybe it's a lost painting. Let's say like like a lost Renoir sort of style of the thing that they were able to recreate off of documents or whatever they actually do it so it looks just like it and now because this sort of key this map is now in play now all of a sudden everybody wants it and then you could have other people who they'd be happy to get rid of it like the forger be happy like i'm happy to get, but now everybody's <laughs> after them to get well, the thing so yeah some people want it because they know that there's this thing underneath there's like this map underneath maybe yeah. some people really believe that it's the lost painting so they're after it because they want the yes. painting right <laughs> so you have so, like you have like militant art collectors yeah. like the like the, so, the the army of the guggenheim is right, after so them the, as well the pe- yeah the people who want the map are are enemies of the people who want the painting yeah because they both want it for different reasons That's right and then there's our person caught in the middle yeah and then like the people who just want the painting think that the people who know there's a map underneath are crazy or like conspiracy theorists because there's like because mm, they, yeah. they believe it's real there's like there's no way there's a map underneath that and the others are like it's a forgery there's a map underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> so you could have yeah, different factions that believe wholly opposite things about the painting yeah that like could be that. fun. Okay, so then our our artist then. If you like this feels like a a a man, so that makes me want to have it be a woman. Sure. Yeah, I think it works either way. I think yeah, I think yeah, because it, it seems like that would be the the typical thing would be and so I'm interested to see it sort of from a female perspective of like art school dropout or or kicked out or actually probably had to leave because of circumstances. Maybe her like underworld forger identity is male. Is, oh, is, interesting. And is a, as an extra layer of anonymity, sort of like Max yeah. for Mission Impossible. Yeah. Um, you know, just everyone just assumes. As, yeah, everyone assumes, and she yeah maybe adopts a, a a moniker as the forger to sort of encourage that. Yeah. Uh, you know, Banksy or whatever. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. To, to uh, keep the two things separate, because um, in the same way that Stan Lee used a pen name because he didn't because he knew he was going to eventually go off and write 
something important, not silly, silly <laughs> men dressed as spiders uh, <laughs> that has like a different persona because it didn't want to get in the way of when she becomes a real famous artist. And yeah. what better way to have it be that, you know, it's it's instead of Maxine, it's Max. Yeah, absolutely. So we're dealing with yeah, extra hijinks because there's dual identities. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. And people who only know the one instead of the other. Mm hmm. And then they're like, we're looking for Max. No, yeah. we're looking for Maxine. <laughs> uh, I like that. Yeah. Um, right. So there would I, have I, to I be. The idea of like, like a literal strata of like the, the city is built on mm-hmm. layers like that, that like sort of like the from lowest to highest and almost yeah, the like, upper crust. And then the, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. everything is everything like almost like giant birdhouses where like the like, like, like almost like cloud city. Yeah. But like there actually is something that they're building up on top of. And then obviously the, the rich and powerful are at the top. Or kind of like the, like a fantasy version of the, like the fifth element where uh, like the new city is built on top of the old city. Right. Right. Yeah. So like they like so the 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 people at the bottom are the are the foundation. They're like mm-hmm. what keeps things running. But then there's like a long almost pole where no one lives. <laughs> like the like the the missing middle class thing. Maybe those are and like the servants' like quarters for the. Oh like, yeah. There could be like the the middle the middle layer could be, I mean technically the middle class, but literally they're there because they're there to support and serve the upper class. Yeah. Yeah, it could be interesting. Yeah, and that's what our filling station would be sort of in that middle area like you know floating thing or because everybody has right. to you have to descend or go up to it because that's where yeah and you, well you would need blue collar workers to run right. the depot and to reinfuse the gems and all that yeah. uh because the upper crust certainly aren't going to do that yeah so I have or have not dragons <laughs> trying to think <laughs> if there's something that we can do in there for the title <laughs> all right do, uh, we, do we need to name our, our main characters Okay, now that she has now she has two names Oh, right. Okay. Uh, boy, something. I don't know how far, how specific you want to be. I know you've run uh, panels like this at, at cons. And yeah, it really. specific do we need to be? I, if you want a name, I'm sure. It really, for me, names are like, I take a long time on names. Okay. Um, but if you, if, I mean, if your gut is telling you some names, let's go with them. Um, it's not. I, the Max Maxine thing, basically, I think I would probably have that for a long time and then rename her actually, yeah, yeah exactly until <laughs> right until the, yep. the thing that would just global search and replace yeah i'm like some people just like will 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 just kind of pick a name and they'll go with it i i tend to usually like i'll agonize over names depending on on the name uh so yeah i'm not usually a rapid fire namer <laughs> <laughs> so yeah max maxine is good for short because yeah. just like you i would almost certainly like put Max and Maxine in, in like brackets, knowing mm-hmm. that I was going to come back and overwrite that with the actual yep. names I chose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Control F. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I guess we would, at least my next question would be yeah. why is she, why is she at this station? Right. Uh, at, at this moment, what's she trying to do? She's trying to so get it, somewhere, I'd imagine. Right. So, this is opening scene. Like, I think I like that. That mm-hmm. you start out from the like, you establish stuff and then you have the the chase scene yeah. and stuff and then, then she's desperate to get going. somewhere right so she's trying to you know, so she has she doesn't even like to do this thing she doesn't like to meet up in person but this was a big deal so they had someone had commissioned this lost historical piece uh, and so she recreated it from all of the stuff and then it's not presenting it okay so then. Then something goes terribly wrong. So she's meeting up with the people who commissioned her. We're going to. So this then, would have to be after that, right? Because she's trying to h- trade the painting. Right. She has it. So she, it's done. So right. she's meeting up with the people who commissioned it to sell it mm-hmm. to them. Like here okay. it is. What do you think? Oh, I, then, get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. You see, and then and then 
someone else had found out about this and like also wants it or what if they're what goes wrong i guess is the next big thing so yeah i wonder if they're at the the station because like she's actually meeting inside somebody like like it would be like getting in somebody's car and we're gonna do the deal while we're driving around right so they're there to do the deal right there yeah but something goes goes wrong yeah yeah or in the back room of the filling stations we can actually have the the gas station be like a yeah, that's true. Yeah, like she. Yeah, like, oh, it's a neutral place because she knows that there there's traffic. So there's maybe she doesn't want to go to an isolated location with these people. Yeah, or maybe one of the high class people owns the station through a shell company or something. Oh, that's so interesting. They okay. use it for all of their illicit backroom deals. Oh, right. Yeah, because yeah, no one would ever would ever think. Yeah, yeah no one would like, ever think you that move I would. All sorts of cargo. Yeah, you know, just unload stuff while they're, they're getting. <laughs> so they arrive up. like in disguise. No one would ever think they would sully themselves by coming down to the middle level. Yeah. Um, but so it's the perfect cover to come there and do all their nefarious dealings. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's got. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, something obviously goes wrong. Right. Um, so like another, another. So another faction finds out about this and then like like breaks in and like interrupts the meeting like no it's gonna be ours but see it seems to be that it would start a bidding war and she'd be like oh well, then who wants it more it has to be someone who's <laughs> not willing to negotiate so maybe this is maybe this is the 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 guggenheim army like that they're just like they want to say that belongs art. that belongs in our museum <laughs> 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 so yeah they've somehow they've gotten They've gotten wind of the plot, but they have it backwards. They think yes, they think it's real. They, they think they think that this guy hired her to find the painting, and he's going to destroy it because he wants this mythical map on the on the behind it that doesn't exist. Right? They, they don't realize that there is something behind it, and she forged what's on top. Yeah. So they're trying to save the forgery, thinking it's real. Oh, that's that's it. Would even be interesting to have all of them there, so that really starts things out. So. She's there to meet the people who commissioned the painting. Then the second group shows up, also criminal evil thing, to be mm-hmm. like, no, no, we want that because it's got the thing on the back of it. We've read the stories. We know it's back there. And then so then you start to get like, the, oh, maybe she can like work a better deal out of this. <laughs> and that's when the Guggenheims show up, <laughs> which are which non-negotiable. Like everybody's going to die. All we want is the painting. And so then that's when the chase. That would be starts. hilarious if like. The the hardcore art nerds are the most yes. dangerous ones. Yes, that, exactly. That I, I so love that. I love that idea. I like, love that, like just that that there is like the, these guys are out there patrolling around mercilessly acquiring art. I'm trying to the, think of the, like for the collection. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like a slang name that they could call those guys to be like, oh crap, yeah. the whatevers are here. Right. <laughs> that immediately is going to strike fear, even though it literally is just saying the art geeks are here. Yeah, exactly. What, yeah, what, <laughs> what is that? What's a, what's a, a pithier thing than art cop? Oh yeah. Cause they're, yeah, they're like art vigilantes. Right. Yeah. Oh boy. I'd have to sit and think about it for a yeah. while. I think to come something up with something. Snob, I think would come out. But yeah, I can't, but yeah, that could be interesting. So there's now yeah. three different, Right. Parties. And then so that's when the, the obviously the, the literal chase starts is that she's got to get out of there. Yeah. Because the like jig is up now. Thing, jumping from vehicle to vehicle, working your way through. And then yeah. we get to the end. Obviously, if this was a movie, then that's when she'd like pull that hat off and like her hair would float. Right. Down. Yeah. And like, oh, it wasn't like, you know. <laughs> and yeah, it could. What if even this is like it's even higher stakes at the beginning, because if she can pull off this deal, it's like her last one. And then she can right. use right. what she she makes off of this. To, to like get back even, into 
art school yeah. or to have to, to yeah to have the freedom or whatever to have the freedom to be a full time artist essentially yes oh oh yeah then both of us can, <laughs> who, can who can't relate to that right yeah. exactly to have finally <laughs> to to give up the the okay yeah we we'll have to just have a straight job and stuff too oh yeah just some. Yeah, is it could that be where we work in the uh the trope where she's she works at a tavern or something? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, no, it has to be something soul crushing. It has to be something non like non um not necessarily bureaucratic, but like that that has requires no personality, no artistic thing. Complete at all. dead end. Yes, it's just it's just pulling a lever, it's punching a thing, it's Oh, know, that it's, could be interesting if oh what what if it's like some ironic thing like she has to pull a lever in like a factory that makes the pigments for paints. Oh yeah. So she's like, Oh, I'm this close. Yeah. So yeah. she makes the pigments, but she can't actually. Yeah. 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 She's like, like it has to wear all the, the covering, but she's like stirring the big pots of all them and then putting them in the containers and just watching them go out. Yeah. To other and artists. She can't. Yeah. And like, even like maybe they, or like you see like her digging in the dumpster and getting all like the, the, oh, the, the leftovers. The, the leftovers. And that's how and she there could, gets her stuff. I, there could even be some like, the, the, just going with the theme of like the hierarchies in the, in the world. Maybe there's yeah. like the, the there's the there's the poor person bottom of the barrel paints. Uh-huh. There there's like the middle class oh, yeah. paints, and right. then there's like the high end paints that have some of those power gems crushed up in the pigments. Yeah, and, and, so, they, and they last forever. Yeah, and they their colors are like otherworldly incredible. Yeah, um, and like, like the other ones like like flake away. Like the small yeah. ones you do only last because of the pollution or whatever yeah. the environment. Like you can do this amazing painting, which she does. Mm-hmm. And then within a couple of days, it all like falls yeah. off, like literally just like yeah. falls to the ground, <laughs> leaving just the yeah. light canvas again. And you kind of go, <sighs> okay, right, yeah, You're back to <laughs> like the. Fa- want, yeah. Oh, so that's the thing. So she wants to make her mark, literally make her mark mm-hmm. by doing something that will last forever yeah and, and so she, like oh and so that everything is decorated. So like all of the people's vehicles, all their things are decorated with this amazing color palettes. Well, everyone yeah. down there is, is all gray and black and stuff too because of the paints they have. That could be interesting. Stay. So where only lasting color can yeah. come from paint that uses those gem infused pigments. Yeah. So only the rich can afford them. Right. Yeah. So so everything. So even in the like social strata wise, everything is grays and browns, and, and it gets t- more colorful as you go up. Yeah. Yeah, and it could be interesting where even with and that's like, why pigeons to dragons, <laughs> right? Exactly. Gray, yeah. It's a color. Yeah, maybe the dragons are like red and gold and sparkling yeah. white and things. Right. And, and the all, pigeons are and, all and gray. artists they pay artists to do them to d- design all of the stuff on them because they're gonna, yeah. they're gonna stay that way for forever. And it could be like I, I'm thinking visually, like even like like the high the upper crust artists have figured out ways to make those canvases almost almost have like a three-dimensional effect because of the yeah. effect of the gems and where it's oh, becoming yeah. more than just a painting so it ends up doing right uh, you could have like you know trail almost like fireworky trails yeah because even if you have magical energy like above. like like laced through it then you yeah. could people you could even have people that like what they do is figure out creative new ways to use the paints and things yeah um yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you can have different. You can have like fa- like because these also are celebrities. So like mm-hmm. you got your ship designed by, you know, yeah, whatever the, whatever the high end artist of that thing. Oh, this one does yeah. other stuff with with what we call holograms. Basically, like it looks yeah. like they're floating above, you know. Oh, but this one actually does stuff with like it looks like it's invisible. What if she also has? She wants like, to be one of those. Yeah. Or what if she has like one or even more like she has a theory that's like. 
a revolutionary thing you can do with it, but she's never been able to test it because she can't get her hands on the paints. So that's one of the things that's been out of her reach is this one thing that Ooh. if she could just get the opportunity, she yeah. could like change, change something, something in the art world or, or the way that they understand the paints or, or whatever. Just yeah. And it's even just like she tells her theory to people and they laugh her out of the room. But it could be a fun thing to where oh, like that's a personal accomplishment with for her where she she ends up towards the end getting the chance to test it and ends up being right. And you could have it be either one just like a nice personal character payoff yeah. or you could have it factor into how she ends up winning the whole like the plot in the end or it could be both like, yeah so i think i think we've got a good i think a good structure i really want to know sort of where where she yeah, we, from here yeah we have so. an interesting uh, uh an interesting opening and i think an interesting got, world yeah exactly we got I, I like having art as as important to the mm-hmm. people like it's built into the world right the society values it highly which is yeah. a, ni- a nice change <laughs> yeah um, it's a way to a way from someone from the bottom to work their way up mm-hmm. uh to be in there yeah it'd be good yeah um okay. yeah that's what that's that was fun yeah yeah exactly i'm like I, I, this is this is what this is what's fun and throwing around ideas back and forth writing can be so solitary so it's nice to yeah. be able to do especially this time uh to be able to have yeah. somebody around to throw these ideas around with I think it was Delilah Dawson that described being a writer as like people are there to celebrate as like being a, a like a, an old ship captain. Like oh. pe- people are there to celebrate when you leave port and when you arrive in port, but you spend the majority of your time alone on the ocean. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I thought really that good. is it was very astute. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what I wanted to do here is have a, a, a bit of a port of call where, you know, mm-hmm. that we could we could all dock our ships. And one thing, and you know, and share a pint at uh, the tavern before we go back to, back to the word mines, back to the back on the ship uh, nice. alone. I like so, it. So hopefully, uh, everyone uh, has, has had a good time here visiting uh, for the, for a short time. We, I did. We good. Yeah, <laughs> I did too. So I'm, I'm glad glad you were here, and I'm glad that our, our listeners were here too. Well, the stories won't write themselves, so back into the world we must go. If you'd like to know more about Ryan Dalton, you can find him at ryandaltonwrites.com or at iryandalton on Twitter. His books are available at Amazon, but he'd prefer it if you'd order from your local bookstore if you can. Thank you for stopping by. If you're in this part of the world again, there will always be a seat for you at the table here at the Storywell. Right on, right away. <laughs>